The word balance in the kitchen is, it's like a unicorn. <laughs> like you wanna, you wanna think that it exists, but you've never really seen one in your life. Like you don't really, but you just wanna keep on like believing that it's there, you know? Episode four, Balance. This is Copper and Heat, a podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of the kitchen. I'm Katie Osuna. You're listening to our first season, Be a Girl, all about women in fine dining kitchens. If this is your first time listening, we recommend going back to episode one, Brigade, and starting from there. In this episode, I talk with my coworkers about how to find balance when work is your life, and I talk with my friends and my mom about gender roles when it comes to balancing work and being a parent. When you work in kitchens, you're part of a team. And like we talked about in the last couple episodes, it's almost like a family. It's a tight-knit group where each person plays a specific role. And when you have a team built like that, when one member's gone, it has an effect on the rest. So there is this sense of obligation to be there all the time, 60 plus hours a week. And all of us feel that. For me as a chef, I feel that responsibility to be at work. This is Edelyn, who you also heard at the beginning of the episode. She's an executive sous chef. And I care too much about, about uh, the reputation of the restaurant. I care too much about my reputation, honestly. You know, like if I had somebody who went to go eat at the restaurant that I currently work at and it was just a terrible experience. That's a sucky feeling to have. I don't know, chefs have that, that feeling to, of need. Like, these people need me to be here at work. It's, um, it's rough, you know, but as hard as it's been for me, I wouldn't want it any other way. Is that strange? Like, we are kind of masochists, aren't we? You know, what is it? What is it about what is it about the culinary world that makes us like this? It seems super normal. Like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is Courtney, a chef de partie in the pastry department. Which I mean, it is what the job requires. Like you're supposed to, you know, be working for twelve hours, thirteen hours, fourteen hours. Like there are certain things that are expected of you. Are you feeling, like, guilty for not being there? You're like, I should be there right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I spent more I spent more time with them than I did with you over the last year and a half. About three weeks after I left Manresa, Ricardo and I had this conversation. We hung out with all the cooks from the restaurant, and after they left, I was telling Ricardo how much I missed the restaurant, how much I missed my guys, and feeling very nostalgic about the whole thing. And Ricardo gently reminded me of the good part about leaving. It's like, you and I now have time to hang out and do nothing. Yeah. 
What do you think about that? Well, that's the good part. That's the good part about leaving the restaurant. And I do have, like, more time to, like, commit to relationships, other relationships, like, spend more time, like, reconnecting with friends and spending time with family and you. Do you think it's fair for the restaurant to ask so much of you and just an employee in general in terms of the time that you spend there? I don't know. It's just kind of a weird situation. I like I used to go back and forth a lot more because it's like, oh, well, I'm choosing to be there that amount of time. Do you feel like people try to portray that they love or that they like committing this much time out of their lives to the restaurant? Is, this, is there a pressure for them to say like, yes, like this is the lifestyle I want? Of course. Because like the whole, I mean the whole narrative is that you're the chefs that get to the top are the creative geniuses. But not only that, but that they worked their way up. So they started as apprentices and they got there early and they stayed there late and they worked when they were sick and they were tough enough to stick it out and work their way up and it didn't matter and they were just so dedicated to their craft and to their art that they worked their way up to where they are now. That you put everything else aside and like I, I feel like that's just how it goes. It's like oh your family your friends, your social life, your health, everything is just not as important as dedicating yourself to your job. I always feel so lucky that I met someone before working in fine dining. This is Koji, an executive sous chef. When he and I worked together, we were the only two people in a kitchen of 14 that were married. Because there's no fucking way. Being married in a kitchen is terrible. You feel so bad for your spouse. Especially like, say you have Monday, Tuesday off. You like essentially get to see them for dinner. You see your wife or husband for dinner and maybe like cereal in the morning. Like you like really have to make it work. You can't spend time with your wife or your husband, that they have to go to birthday parties alone. Like, you can't be there. Like, they're hanging out with your friends and essentially, like, you become this ghost socially. And, like, you know you can't be there for them in the way that you need to be. When I moved to Madison, I still had a girlfriend. This is Christopher. He's the chef de partie on the meat station at Van Rysen now, but before that, he was on the meat entremet station in charge of a dish called The Garden. And the original goal was just to me come out and stage and go back to Iceland after three months. The plans changed. I was like sleeping on people's couches. She came out and I would have to like find motels and Airbnbs. It was like really shitty. It's like she was bored out of her mind hanging out here. Like she didn't have anything to do, but she became pregnant. And um, that was definitely very stressful. Like I was like 23 and I was about to become a father, but I didn't want to give up what I was working towards here, but I kind of had to, you know, like, 
you have such a big responsibility now that you need to make money, you need to have time for that kid and whatever, which I eventually came to terms with that I would have to just give that up and go back to Iceland. But then uh, the, she had a miscarriage, which is really hard when you love someone and they're going through that and you're on the other side of the world and you still want to show support. And you tried your best, but you didn't do enough, you know, like nobody at the restaurant knows this is going on, by the way. And like, meanwhile, you're like torn between two worlds. Like her mom is calling you to tell her like updates about her surgery that she had to have because like it, it was that rough. And like you're on your like literally on the drive to work and you're, you're talking to her mom about a surgery she just had over a fucking miscarriage that the two of you like of this kid that you have together and like it's you're like seven minutes away from work that hurts fucking everybody you know like that that shit tears you apart and you have to like show up to work and still like you know hold your own and keep your mind together and not fucking be pissed off all day or worried or on your phone or you know which is so fucked up because you know what really matters at the end like the fact that you put out 50 gardens and they all look nice or that your girlfriend knows that you're there for her. Almost every time I bring up the statistics about women being underrepresented in kitchens, this is the answer that surfaces. Honestly, I think about how many women out there who cook want to be mothers. And this is seen as one of the biggest barriers to women in the industry. It's assumed that women want families. It's also assumed that it's their job to take care of the family, even if both the man and the woman in the relationship are working. There are sacrifices that need to be made. And socially speaking, there's this stigma that the women are supposed to stay at home, and the men are the professionals, the breadwinners. This is anecdotally how it's played out with the people that I've worked with, but you also see it happening on a larger scale, on some of the biggest stages in the culinary world. The world's best restaurant, 2017, from New York, it's 11 Madison Park. The new number one in the world's 50 best restaurants. There's this thing that happens in the food world. It's called the San Pellegrino 50 Best List. It's like the Oscars of the restaurant industry. The company has a bunch of judges that make this list of who are supposedly the 50 best restaurants in the world. They have a huge award ceremony every year where they present these awards. Plus, they host a variety of other international events and competitions throughout the year. Ahead of the 50 Best Awards ceremony in 2017, which was held in Australia, San Pellegrino hosted the 50 Best Talks. The awards are presented in two days' time, but 50 Best Talks gives you an opportunity to breathe deeply into the umami of culinary brilliance. There has never been a greater influx of international culinary talent to this happy city. There was an event in Sydney and an event in Melbourne. Please welcome the great Massimo Bottura. He's a chef's chef who doesn't do much on the speaking circuit, which is why we're all the more honoured to have him with us today. Please welcome Brett Graham. 
Peter Gilmore of the perennially fabulous Key, shot to fame as the best female chef in the world. Please welcome the extraordinary Dominique Crenn. The event in Sydney featured four chefs from all over the world, three men and one woman, Chef Dominique Crenn, who owns and operates a few restaurants in San Francisco, including the two Michelin star Atelier Crenn. Now, I want to talk to you more generally, too, about the role of mentoring and um, nurturing great chefs of the future. Um, there is one right here. Mitch, welcome to the Opera House. Thank you very much. Uh, tell us a bit about the San Pellegrino Young Chefs competition. It sounds fearsome. One of the events San Pellegrino puts on is the world's best young chef competition. It's like if you took Iron Chef and made it an international thing all day long and took only the best chefs in the world under 30 years old. Mitch won that in 2016, so he's done a lot of traveling to other San Pellegrino events, including giving a speech at the Sydney 50 Best Talks. He was also my CDC at Manresa. One of the big moments in the event that got picked up by a bunch of the press was an interaction between Chef Dominique and a man from the audience during a Q&A session. Yes, I distinctly remember the guy who stood up and asked Dominique a question. The audience member asked if Chef Dominique had to make a choice between family and career, and whether she felt she had missed out on the very important role of being a mother to children. She'd already been talking about how kitchens are so male-dominated and how it's this totally chauvinistic environment. And then this guy comes up and asks her a question like that. Everyone, everyone that was sitting in the audience kind of had this same, like, and, you know, Dominique rightly answered in a way that was like she was pissed about the question. You know, she didn't get, like, angry, it seemed like. She just was like, I don't appreciate the way that you asked that. And because of X, Y, and Z, like, she explained her point of view really well. The XYZ in Chef Dominique's answer was that everyone, no matter their gender, has to make choices between personal life and career. She pointed out that she did, in fact, have kids and asked why the audience member assumed she didn't, just because she's a successful chef. She finished with this. And, and if you have home and if you have kids, I hope you stay home with your kids so you, you, your wife can go and just, like, just go out there and be a badass woman, you know? <laughs> So after he asked this question, after she responded, the guy started crying. He didn't mean it in the way that it came across. He was like a father of a couple kids. He'd wanted to, he'd wanted to cook. He'd want, he th like thought about being a chef or maybe, maybe he was a chef. I don't quite know. And it, so <laughs> as terrible as it sounded, the way that he said it as being a random person coming from the crowd, there was some gray area in there that everyone found out about later. Cause yeah, the guy started crying like immediately after the immediately after Dominique answered, everybody was really applauding Dominique for the way that she answered it. What was actually surprising or shocking was that whole interaction with Dominique and that guy was not the worst thing that was said when it came to like women in the kitchen it was the chef from London, Brett Graham. Chef Brett Graham owns and operates a two Michelin star restaurant in London, and he's number 42 on the world's 50 best list. Dominique was talking about something having to do with women in the kitchen. The chef Brett was 
said something along the lines of, well, yeah, like, you know, I'm less inclined to hire a woman because, you know, she's going to get pregnant. She's going to, you know, she's going to leave me. It was a lot harder to find press about this statement. I usually found it alluded to in articles that were much more focused on the interaction between Chef Dominique and the person from the audience. In the crowd, I was just like, did he just fucking say that? After Chef Brett said that, Chef Dominique responded with, yes, we need to stop pretending we're all the same, but that the conversation needs to change. Work-life balance decisions are not just for women to make. I just, I I don't know. There are kitchens that operate that way. There are kitchens that totally, like, there are people who operate in that sense. And he, he was super nice, right? Most of the things he was saying on stage were really, really inspirational for a cook coming up. And then that guy, he makes great food, great, great food. But those few things that he said made me, like, just really question the culture. And then it was just upsetting for someone, someone that you respect and somebody you look up to, 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 to give that as an example was, was unfortunate. The chefs we see on stage at these types of events are what we consider the epitome of success. They are the people that everyone else looks to as examples. And it begs the question, as cooks, who are our role models? A lot of my role models were single men. Here's Christopher again. They didn't have any kids, even though they were like 30, 35 or older. They never found that like catch, you know, like that person that'll stick around and like have kids with you, even you'll you work yourself to the ground. So I don't know, like if you look at like the people that inspired you and like your role models in the industry, they have these things in common that it's kind of like you can say that it's bullshit and like try to prove them wrong or whatever but you'll you'll have a real difficult time when i think about it most of my role models in the industry were men because those are the chefs that get featured on tv in magazines and on stage at speaking engagements some of them have families but it's not something that's addressed it makes the idea of balance as a chef look impossible so as i started getting older and thinking about this more i thought about who i could talk to about it So I thought about my mom. Growing up, my reality was that both my parents worked, but my mom was almost always the one that did the cooking and the housework, and I hadn't until recently really thought about that. I also had never really asked my mom what she thought about the role and how it came to be that way. Our goal was always that I was stay-at-home mom and he was breadwinner, but I did have to work a little. So then it did get kind of messed up. So then I was still trying to do both. There were times when I I was just tired. You know, I felt like I had to be the disciplinarian and the mom, the dad. <laughs> I felt like there were times when I had to do many roles. Mm-hmm. And that was not always easy. And there was, there was some times when... Um, yeah, probably a little resentment going on, like, that's no fair. You come home and you get to be the good guy, and I'm the one who's been trying to, keeping it all together. A lot of juggling. I don't know if I always did the best best with that juggling. But then I think I also had that feeling of me needing, I don't know, not purpose, because I had purpose with being your mom. I think I felt like I needed um, something 
that was that was for the greater good of all. I questioned and still question if it was selfish. As I got older, I started to realize how much my mom and all the women in my life shaped me. I had some of those things, but I also had a lot of really strong, independent women. Yes. My grandmas, my aunts, my cousins. Yes. And her. And she was surprised by that. Did you feel I was independent? I don't, I don't think I realized it till later. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that you felt that I was. <laughs> I, I hope you felt that I was. Because I think sometimes it appeared that I wasn't. And Why? What do you mean? I don't know. I, did, I hoped you didn't think I was a submissive <laughs> type person or something. <laughs> you know, I wanted you to feel that it was good to still have a mind of your own and have your own education and, and have your own opinion. Those are very important qualities to me. Earlier that day, unfortunately when I didn't have my recorder on, my mom and I took a walk. We were chatting about future plans and we got to the topic of kids. I was raised Catholic, so from the only conversations we'd had about families and mothers, I just assumed I knew my mom's view on the matter. Women are supposed to become mothers. When I was a kid, there was no doubt in my mind that I would be a mom someday, because that's what you're supposed to do. As I grew up, I started to question whether that is what I really want, because I want to have a career and I want to do my own thing. Kids might not fit into that plan. I told my mom that, and she surprised me. She told me that at one point in her life, she didn't know if she wanted kids either. She surprised me again by not trying to change my mind. It was just really bizarre to hear my mom talk about her internal struggles as a woman and as a person. It's a really bizarre experience when you finally realize your parents are just people, that they don't have all the answers. And that, at least in my case, my mom went through a lot of the same uncertainties and pressures that I'm dealing with right now. And to hear her say things like, I needed another purpose, or it felt selfish, and hearing her fears that maybe she wasn't the right role model for me. It was scary, but also reassuring. After hearing the story about Chef Dominique, and after talking to my mom, it made me think more about this big barrier to women rising in the industry. Not to say that male chefs don't struggle with balancing life and work, but women are pressured into these roles, and it's easier for men to have this so-called balance because they have someone else taking care of the stuff at home. Whether or not they have families, chefs that have worked their way up have a certain opinion about the industry, because that's how they were raised. It's how it's been for generations. It's about working your ass off, being strong enough to deal with the pressure and the schedule, and just being completely dedicated. And that attitude trickles down into the culture that they create for their cooks. The worst thing is that chefs, people that own businesses, are like, well, I grew up making less money. That's just the lifestyle. Like They think that because that's how they lived, that's okay. It's worked for a million years. Why, why, why are we changing it? Because uh, it fucking sucks. Here's Koji again. So much of the food industry is young. 
sure, when you're like 18, 19, 20, like you don't really need it. You could live on the floor for all you care. You can just live off of beer and burgers. But what happens when you get older? You've given your life to this culture. And like when you get older, when you're like 27, 28, you want to have a family. What do you do? You don't have any money. You don't have any savings. All you can do is cook. So then at that point, you either sell out or you open your own restaurant or you fucking leave the industry. And it's terrible. Like, why? Why? Again, like, why is our culture like that? Those are seen as the only three options. Leave the industry, work in corporate dining, or open your own place. Each of them comes with their own struggles. First, the struggle of whether or not to leave the industry. I do want a family. You know, I want to be a mom and... Here's Courtney again. Like, that is what I want to do. I, I think, like, the big struggle is thinking about, um, like, when my mom had me and my brother, like, she was a stay-at-home mom for, you know, while we were growing up before we went to school. And then once we started school, she went back to working. So I'm like, oh, man, like, it's hard to think about, like, if I had kids or, you know, when I have kids, like, well, do I stay home like am I gonna feel guilty for not staying at home but then am I gonna like be like not disappointed but like am I gonna feel like oh but I did all of that work you know I worked so hard to get to wherever you're at in your career and then you're like well now I'm gonna leave it you know for a great reason but you're still kind of leaving it. it it is hard to think about for sure. It's a, it's a struggle. Is a restaurant what I really want or is a life what I really want? Because you're not going to be able to have both, sadly. This is Fred, a chef de partie. I feel like if you're going to want to do something that's really and truly yours and dedicate yourself to, that's, that's time. That's why it's an inner struggle because then you think about it and you're like, well, am I ever going to have a family? And if I do have those things, but I spend all the time at my restaurant, then... I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good husband, you know, so I don't want to be bad at anything. I don't want to let anybody down, whether it be from the people that come to my restaurant or my wife or my kid, you know, I'm going to try to have both. It's going to be, it's going to be a challenge, but we'll see how it works out. The next option is to go to work at a place with benefits and higher pay. But because of this prestige associated with working in fine dining, it's really hard to come to that conclusion as a cook looking to further your career. Like people assume that because you work in fine dining, you get paid like an appropriate amount based on the amount they charge customers, right? But like most often you make less. In and out pays $16 an hour. $16 an hour. <laughs> cooks cooks make like what? $11.50, $12? You're telling me that like people that work in like a s- specific field catered to like Dining at its peak get paid less than a guy that flips burgers. Livable wage. Like people like scoff at that. Oh, you're gonna work at a hotel? What are you gonna fucking serve like beef stroganoff and boiled vegetables? Are you gonna work Sunday like Easter brunch, you fucking hack? And it's like, I guarantee you those people that work there are way happier on their days off. They have a livable wage. They have a family that they can see regularly. They go on vacation. They're healthy. Their like bodies aren't like fucked up. There's no other reason to be in fine dining unless you are heavily invested in learning about food. It's not worth it at all. 
used to not want to have kids, but now I want to have kids. But then will I be okay with taking that corporate job? This is Caitlin. She's an executive pastry chef. If you're willing to make, I guess, the compromise, as it were, to take maybe a step down from kind of the intensity of what you're doing in a kitchen, it's available, but I think it's hard for a lot of us. I know it's difficult for me. I tried for a little bit stepping back and doing something corporate, but it didn't leave me with that fulfillment at the end of the day. Well, having kids fill the void of fulfillment because then I have another purpose because my kids need me. Having having a family is like a scary idea already, but then when you kind of mix in your career and everything with that and how that could affect it, it becomes it's like kind of like a nightmare of a thought to think. It's intimidating, it's overwhelming. It gives me a whole lot of anxiety. <laughs> the last option is that you just stick it out. Work your way up and hope you can open a restaurant of your own and become successful enough to find some semblance of a balance. Most cooks would fucking laugh at you if you said, oh yeah, you can have a family. Like, I grew up in a restaurant family and it worked. I don't think I had a bad childhood at all. Like, retrospectively, it was probably like terrible for my parents. Like, I hung out with my parents on Saturday afternoon. And Sunday. Sunday was always family day. So I always had one day with them, and then my, my dad would have Wednesday off, and my mom would have Thursday off. I lived in that weird pocket, so, like, I always thought that having a restaurant and family was feasible. I mean, you get to that level, you have more of an opportunity to balance it. Here's Mitch again. Because no one's telling you, you have to be here from this time to this time, so you can just leave the restaurant whenever you feel like. So there is probably a better work-life balance at that level. Do I think they go home to their kids? No, I think most of them, you know, will go out to dinner and they're like socialites essentially at that point. They, they're not going, going home to have dinner with their family for the most part. They're going out to have dinner with another well-known chef and be photographed and be talked about and eater. And they're traveling around the world doing events or going to 50 best awards and rubbing elbows with the people that are in the industry at the top of their game too. Things like that. But are these really the only three options? For now, maybe, but maybe not. I think being married also makes you aware of how flawed the system is. You start to realize that that the culture that you are a part of is not healthy. And like the only way you see that is like when someone someone in your relationship demands that from you. Like when you're married and you have a responsibility to the other person. It sucks, but like at the same time, I think being married in cooking grounds you. That's like a really important conversation that you need to have with your partner. Of like, how is that going to work? Like, who is going to be there to do those things? And like, it doesn't have to be you. But if you want it to be you, then you know, it's you. And that's it. But you know, having an open conversation about like, is it going to be me? Is it not going to be me? Like, would you do that kind of stuff? Would I do it? Like, how does it all fit together? Especially when your schedules are really different and 
or even when they're really the same, then no one's there. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, what's going to happen? Um, so it, it is like really tricky, but I think that, you know, that's just life and like be, getting married and having kids and like figuring out how it's all going to, how it's going to work together. A lot of my guy friends that have kids actually have taken on more of kind of like the stay-at-home dad role, which I think is super awesome. It's just, it's really cool to see that it hasn't become this, well, like my wife is going to be at home and I'm just going to be, I'm going to be in the kitchen at all hours in the night because, you know, she's, she's the woman. She's got this like motherly instinct. She can take care of the kids. Like that's, that's what her job is, you know? So it's fantastic to see a lot of my guy friends. Um, It's crummy to say, but like stepping up, (laughs) you know, because it shouldn't, it shouldn't be about whether or not you're the male or the female counterpart. And, you know, it should be an equal load share regardless. In the next episode of Copper and Heat, we talk more about why cooking in the home is seen as women's work and cooking professionally is seen as work for men and how that assumption has shaped the world of fine dining. Be a Girl, the first season of Copper and Heat is produced by me, Katie Osuna and Ricardo Osuna. A special thanks to Rachel Palmer and Clancy Magnuson for editing help. Check out our website, copperandheat.com, for more information about today's episode, including the links to the videos from the San Pellegrino events we talked about. Don't forget to subscribe to us and to leave us a review. It helps us a lot. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your cat. We could use the help spreading the word. Head on over to Twitter or Instagram and find us at Copper and Heat. We love hearing from you. Send a voice memo or email to hello at copperandheat.com or call 208-718-2719. All the music you hear is produced by us under the name Gamma Gardens. Check out other tracks on Instagram and SoundCloud. And finally, thanks to all of you for listening.